Amen. Thank you, Rose. We are at the book of Joshua. Passage right, Mike read for us. Chapter 5, Joshua 5. Um, we looked last week at Israel's first foray into the land God promised to give them. And we saw that of the 12 tribal leaders that Moses sent to explore the land, only two, only Joshua and, and Caleb, recommended that Israel do as God said and, and move to occupy the land. The rest of them, the other 10, said they should just forget about it. Because the, the people that already lived there were too powerful and, and there were too many of them for Israel to, to conquer. By the way, we, we didn't get to this last week, but that same 10 accused the land of being too good. Uh, they, 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 they thought it was so good that it would always be a source of trouble for those who live there. That's what, that's what they very likely meant when they said this land devours its inhabitants. They were saying that the land was so good that other peoples and other nations would be constantly trying to come in and take it away from them. And so whoever occupied that land would be constantly fighting off invaders. That's a pretty hopeless way of looking at things, isn't it? I mean, uh, that's like saying, you know, you should never have anything of value because somebody will just steal it from you. Or uh, you shouldn't marry him or you shouldn't marry her because they're, they're so talented and they're so good looking that uh, whenever somebody else sees them, they will try to take them from you, you know. Um, that's a crummy way to look at life. Now, the fact is the 10 wound up being right in a way. Um, modern-day Israel probably is the most fought-over little piece of land in the history of the world. But man, you can't live your life borrowing trouble from the future, expecting the worst all the time. If you do, you'll never do anything, especially that which God himself tells you to do. You'll just never do it. Of the 12, Caleb and Joshua were the only ones who, in spite of how things looked, they're the only ones that said, hey, if God says we can take the land, then let's take the land. They were the only ones. And see, Joshua got a book of the Bible named after him for that kind of faith. Uh, Caleb didn't. I don't know what Caleb, maybe Caleb married a very pretty, talented girl. <laughs> I don't know. But we're still reading about both of them hundreds of years later. Uh, we don't read about the other ten. Because scripture says the Lord struck them down with a plague right there. For leading the people to doubt God. Because they chose to live their life imagining the worst and moping around. Intimidated by the bad news of their day. They chose to live their life always looking down. Joshua and Caleb though, they chose to look up. And believe that God was there and God was keep his word no matter how things appeared. That's why they're examples of faith to you and to me. And that's why we're still reading about them today. Um, in this passage, by the time we get here to Joshua chapter 5, it's 40 years or so after that 10 to 2 vote. 
And lots had happened in those intervening years, both good and bad, to the nation of Israel. But at this point, the nation had served its 40 years in the wilderness sentence. Moses had died. Joshua was put in charge. And the people are back at the border of Canaan. And they are ready this time to trust the Lord. They are looking up. As they say to Joshua, back in chapter 1 there, the people say to Joshua, whatever you command us, we will do. And whoever rebels against your word will be put to death. (laughs) So they cross the Jordan River and immediately they encounter the city, the the fortress of of Jericho. They had already sent spies to, to check it out. And they even found help from within Jericho. From a woman named Rahab, who was, depending on how you translate the word, either a prostitute or an innkeeper, or or maybe both. Uh, Whoever she was, she was someone who also lived life looking up. Because she knew, she could sense that God was real. And that the God of these Israelites was at work. Somehow we know that because she admitted to Israel's spies that all of Jericho, the whole city, even though this was a fortress full of weapons, even though it had all that Israel outside did not have, even though all visible evidence would suggest that the people within the city walls had nothing to worry about, still Rahab admits all of Jericho was deathly afraid of these Israelites. So she protected the spies and she helped them escape when the authorities came looking for them. She even lied to the representatives of her own king about them. So confident was she in this confession she makes back in chapter 2 there that the Lord your God is God of heaven and earth. That's what she told them. You see, that's a person who lives life looking up. uh, Who's convinced... That reality is made up of far more than just what can be seen with your eyes. Because God is in and God is at work in the world. Rahab had the same perspective that compelled Joshua and Caleb to lead Israel up against this fortress. (laughs) The truth is... It would require a truckload of faith to do what they did, you know. Uh, And you can't help but wonder if God knew on the very eve of the invasion that Joshua needed maybe a a little last minute booster shot of faith. And so this man with a drawn sword appears to him in verse 13 there. Uh, the man identifies himself as the commander of the army of the Lord, which, which would suggest that he's an angel. At the same time, though, he does not stop Joshua or prevent Joshua from bowing down to him. And an angel would not have allowed that. So that suggests that he is either God himself incarnate or, or some uh, pre-incarnate Jesus. The pre-incarnate Christ. Scholars disagree about who exactly he is. But, but what's really more important is what he does. Uh, he does two things. First, 
he does something that would remind Joshua of a very important event long past that Joshua had certainly heard a lot about. And that was God's meeting with Moses at the burning bush. Uh, You see, back there, just like here, a great mission of freedom was about to begin. And direction and encouragement were needed. Uh, So here, just like back at the burning bush, because the ground was holy, shoes had to come off. So that God's chosen leader could come close and listen and take counsel and hear. So that tie to Moses, that was not lost on Joshua, I promise you. The second thing the man does, he tells Joshua precisely what he very likely needed to hear in that moment. There in verse 2 where he says, See, I have delivered Jericho, its king, and all its fighting men into your hands. Now it's funny to me, that the message that he brings begins with the word see, because that is surely not what Joshua saw as he stared at this imposing fortress. Uh, Its walls were between 12 and 15 feet tall, and they were super thick. And because Jericho sat on a slope, archaeologists think that at least part of the city had a, a tiered double wall which would make it seem, as you looked at it, probably 40 or 50 feet tall. So if you're Joshua standing there looking at that, the last thing you see with your physical eyes is any hope of taking this city. But the commander of the army of the Lord wasn't looking at the city with just his physical eyes. And so neither did Joshua. Instead of looking at the walls, Joshua looked up. He looked beyond the walls. And he looked up to the Lord and he chose to believe him. He chose to believe what he said about taking this city. And more specifically and frankly amazingly, he chose to believe about how this city would be taken. Which took another truckload of faith (laughs) to embrace Since the battle plan that he was given was unconventional at best, right? It didn't involve any mass army. There was no surprise attacks, um, no night raids, no spears, no bows, no slings or shields or battering rams, no weapons of any kind. Just, Just marching and horn blowing. It was the first ever marching band right here in Joshua 6. And it was the band (laughs) that was to play and win the game. Not the football team. It was the band. And the plan included one big shout. Uh, But until the command for the shout came, they weren't even allowed to talk. Which itself was strange. Because, you know, catcalling and and insults and and all the chest beating, that was all a normal part of warfare in those days. Uh, I mean, you remember the whole David and Goliath thing where Goliath had come out every day and and yell, hey, your mother wears combat boots, you know, to Israel's army. All that was a part of the, the battle process, psychological intimidation, but not here. 
Down there in verse 10. Look how specific the directions were and how they build on each other. Joshua said, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until I give the signal. But when I do, you shout with everything you've got. And the wall will fall straight down. And then you rush in and mop up. That was the plan. There's not a shred of human sensibility to it. It was all God's idea. So you'd have to be looking up to even think this could work. Much less to stake your life upon it. And look what happened. Look at what can happen when enough of God's people decide they're really going to trust him. They're really going to live their lives looking up to him. And they're really going to do whatever he says, no matter the risk, no matter how crazy it sounds. The greatest, most imposing of challenges can be met and overcome if God wants it to happen. If God's people will listen to it. He'll give his people a reason to shout. Every time. But why... Did God do it like this? Like he did? I mean, I think that's sort of the key question here. Why did he do it like this? Why does God do this so unconventionally? Now, if you grew up in the church, you know the story so well, maybe the, the unconventionality of it has, has worn off. You just kind of take it, yeah, 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 you know. But come on, this battle plan is downright strange. And beyond this, as, as you think back through all the ways God has worked with humanity in accomplishing this or that or the other, you realize that God very typically works in these unusual, strange, kind of backhanded ways from our perspective. Why? Why does he do that? Why doesn't he just do things in a straightforward way? One reason, there's probably lots of reasons, I'll offer one. One reason is because God's not just interested in getting something done. God is interested in changing people along the way. You see, a task-oriented person just wants to get things done in the quickest, most efficient manner possible. But God is people-oriented at heart. So even though he certainly has definite plans for our world, and he is working them out, his plans for people mean way more to him than efficiency or timetables. God loves people more than production, which is a big reason why he does things in ways that seem so strange to us. Now, now, certainly God was intent on this happening to Jericho because this was the beginning of God's judgment on the Amorites, something that was promised to Abraham long time ago. You can find that in Genesis 15. So, you see, this was divine judgment that was going on here. That's why God was entirely justified in doing what he did to the nations that occupied the land of Canaan. Now, and I know some people have a lot of trouble with that. But those people forget what those nations did to deserve this. 
So there's no doubt that this judgment was going to happen sooner or later in one way or another. But God was more interested in building his people, Israel, than he was in tearing down Jericho's walls. Not because these Hebrews were so special, but because of this incredibly special mission that they were to carry out in the world. That's why God was so interested in them. So he tears down the walls in a way that builds up this people's faith. Because at the end of the day, to follow a plan that seems crazy, that is crazy, and then to have it work out so perfectly, (laughs) that builds faith in the architect of that plan more quickly than anything else. You see, the crazier the plan plus the better it works equals more faith-filled people and, and more glory to God. And just think of all the times in Scripture where God works like this. I mean, Noah and the flood, you know, build a big boat. A what? <laughs> Sarah's conception, Mary's conception for that matter. Uh, the escape from Egypt, crossing the Red Sea. David and Goliath, Balaam's talking donkey, uh, feeding of the 5,000, Elijah, Elisha, Jonah, Peter escaping. I mean, there's just hundreds. There's hundreds of instances like that. Plans that look and sound and seem utterly crazy. In every case, far simpler methods could have accomplished the task. But the bigger thing God was trying to do was capture the trust of the people. And, And, you know, he's still trying to do that today. He's still trying to do it today. Why does God do things the way he does? Today, doesn't doesn't the way he works in our lives seem so inefficient? (laughs) Doesn't the way he he does things in our lives seem needlessly complicated at times? Why does he take us through this and then that and then the other thing? Why does he make us wait so long? Why does he ask us to do things that seem so strange at times? Why the complexity? Why involve all these different people? Why the drama? Why doesn't he just give us what we want? That's what we really want to know, isn't it? That's what we're really asking. And that's what really frustrates us. That he doesn't just give us what we want. But instead, he leads us here, and he leads us there, and he leads us through this and through that and through the other. Why? Why does he do that? Because he's more interested in building us into people of faith than he is in accomplishing some random task. And that's because whatever task it is, even if it's a matter of life and death, it's temporary. But our souls, the souls of people, are eternal. And to get the eternal stuff where it needs to be, we got to exercise the faith muscle. We got to learn to trust Him. We have to do, learn to do things His way and in His time. We got to look up. We got to look up. And just as he had to do with Israel, sometimes he has to take us around the barn a few times to get us to look up and to choose to trust. 
I wonder if God is doing that in your life, even, even now. <laughs> Does he have you on your third trip around the barn? Or, or wandering in the wilderness somewhere? Is he asking something of you that looks as imposing as the walls of Jericho looked to Joshua? Maybe he's trying to get you to work a plan that just seems nutty to you. And you have been saying to him, God, this is so inefficient. (laughs) Why don't you just do this or that or the other? Are you in a place like that today? Give thanks for God's inefficiencies. He's building trust in you. He's building faith in you. He's trying to prepare you. So so when your Jericho comes, you'll be ready and able to, to look up and see way past the walls. Clear up to the God that you now know can take those walls down. Will you trust him to work his plan in his way for your good? Um, maybe, maybe you need to, to tell him that this morning. Uh, you know, maybe you need to say to him, Lord, I don't understand the why, but I, I believe you're doing this the way you are for my benefit and help me not to lose sight of that. If that's what you need to tell him, uh, why don't you do that? that? That is a confession of faith in and of itself. Uh, Or maybe you need to ask him for the faith to even get to that point, to to trust him for the plan. You could ask him for that too. Father, you know where each of us are on our journey today. You know what we are facing. You know your plan for us, for our lives, and for the people we love. (laughs) And you also know what we think of it right now. Would you help us to respond to you in faith, to to look up and realize you work for our good because we are on your side. Lord, do what you need to do in us to make that eternal part of us confident and ready to believe you and to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.